0: This is Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Independent Thought. My name is Desmond Price. For today's episode, we are joined by a Senate congressional, or, yes, a Senate candidate out of the state of Wisconsin, Stephen Olikara. Thank you for joining the podcast today. How are you doing?
1: Thank you for having me, Desmond. Doing well. This is the final and exciting stretch of our Senate campaign here in Wisconsin, and uh, our whole campaign is focused on getting on the debate stage. You may remember with the presidential candidates with Andrew Yang and others, they set these thresholds to get on the debate stage. And, we want to have independent thinkers on those debate stages, so that's a big thing uh, we're focused on. We need five thousand uh, different donors, so that's a big thing with their campaign right now. Otherwise, summer has arrived here in Wisconsin, and uh, it's great to be on the show. Thank you so much for
0: joining us, and let's kind of just hop right into it. You are the first person to come on to the show who is running for Senate. Um, you know, we've had some people come on the show before who are running for Congress, which is also a big deal, but the Senate one of 100 people. It's a very significant position in our country. Why are you particularly running for this office? And what do you hope to bring that's different from what's currently there?
1: Yeah, there are two reasons. One is our democracy is at an inflection point. And the last 10 years of my life have been focused on political reform. How do we change the incentives in our politics in order for us to meaningfully take on gun violence prevention or to take on climate change? And I think people sense that this system is not on the level right now. Something has broken down when there are solutions with 90% support that don't get passed through Congress or just, you know, our basic needs being met, Uh, Congress is just not working for us right now. And so we now see this rise of disillusionment here in Wisconsin, 80% of Wisconsinites believe the federal government is broken. So my whole mission is fixing our politics And the second thing is the qualifications for this job. Uh, This is a legislative seat where you need to actually deliver legislation for your constituents. And uh, I bring the most federal legislative experience to this race through my time as the founder and CEO of Millennial Action Project, which is a group that convenes and mobilizes 2,000 young elected leaders across the country, including in Congress. And then the final thing is. Wisconsin has become the tipping point state for the country. Trump won here, and that helped Trump win nationwide. And then Biden won here, and helped that helped Biden win uh, nationwide. We usually have some of the narrowest margins in these Senate and gubernatorial and presidential races. And so if we can unlock the new politics here in Wisconsin that's pro-democracy and pro-bridge building and pro-dignity, then we will not only transform politics here in Wisconsin, it will have a ripple effect nationwide. And that's, uh, I think, a movement whose time has come.
0: So let's, you know, we're going to talk more about each one of those issues as we go forth in this episode. And obviously you are running for a federal office. So you, if you were elected, you would be making legislation, writing legislation for people that would, you know, affect everyone in the country, not just people in Wisconsin. Right. But specifically, since the people of Wisconsin are sending you to the Senate if you were to be elected, What is the most important issue that you want to address for the people within that state? And how do you plan on doing that specifically?
1: You know, it depends where you go in the state. You know, if you're on a college campus, there's a lot of talk about climate change and a lot of suburban areas, gun violence prevention Uh, in businesses across the state. uh, Inflation and hiring are, are big problems. But there's one underlying issue that cuts across all of this that has made our campaign such a unifying force across Wisconsin—that is the basic trust in our government. The loss of our faith in the democratic and pro- in, in, in our political process. It, like I mentioned, eighty percent of Wisconsin's, Wisconsinites believe the government is broken, and so I'm running on a platform of getting big money out of politics, ending the legalized bribery in Congress, because those are the fundamental issues behind whether or not our government even delivers for us. And so that's why our campaign resonates equally as well in say Madison, Wisconsin, blue progressive area, as well as in the Northern and rural parts of our state. And that is a different coalition. We haven't seen something like that uh, in a long time. So I think this basic issue of democratic health is on the minds of of everyone right now.
0: Right, and so I think you were trying to speak to some of that on your platform as well. I, you know, I went through, I read the different pillars of your platform. The yeah. thing you have at the very top is referencing something called the exhausted majority. Yeah. So, you know, as somebody who's gone through a few different platforms at this point, you know, having different candidates on this show, uh, that's the first time that I heard that phrase being coined. Uh, what exactly does that mean? And obviously it must've been an important thing to you in order for it to be so center on your page. What do you plan to do to, I guess, address the concerns of this exhausted majority?
1: The exhausted majority is the key to changing our politics. It's a group of people, cross-partisan group of people, who are just totally fed up by politics and are looking for something different. They want their leaders to work together and get things done. And a lot of them feel politically homeless right now. So in order to win in this election, you have to not only fire up your base, but also attract the exhausted majority. But it's even bigger than that though. I believe the future of our democracy hinges on whether or not we're able to attract uh, this exhausted majority. The challenge, the reason why most candidates don't do what I'm doing right now is because it's hard. You know, the easiest thing to do is just appeal to your party's most fired up activist base because they're the most likely voters. And so what we've noticed in this campaign is the people who want different don't see different. What I mean by that is the people who are looking for different politics are also not engaging in it regularly. They aren't showing up to party committee meetings. Uh, They may not even know who all the candidates are in this race. And so our job is to close that gap, appeal to people in new spaces. I'm a musician, for example, and we've been able to bring music on the campaign trail. I play with local bands across the state. And that's just one of many ways that we're able to uh, connect with that exhausted majority.
0: Okay. So let's specifically address some of the policy issues right now. I mean, obviously, you know, there I, I've seen that you have quite a, a few different things that you proposed on your website as far as what you want to address if you were to be elected. I also want to talk about just the news of what's happening in our country right now. It feels like it's in a there are a couple of different issues that are floating over us right now that just need to be addressed by I think by anybody who's running for office particularly let's talk about gun reforms. You know, we have seen mass shootings happening, not just in places like Buffalo and Uvalde, but frankly, they're happening all over the country. They're just not as widely reported. So there is gun violence happening in America. It seems as though there are different factions of this country who are just have different solutions, but it seems like people want solutions in general. So for you, what specifically do you want to propose as far as how we should address the gun violence in America and Do you have any particular reforms that you have already tried to do in the past?
1: Absolutely. I've taken the time to listen to Wisconsinites across the divide. We did over 150 events. We had what we called our dignity tour, which is just to listen to people. And, you know, when you truly listen, which is the whole theme of our campaign, you can be in rural Wisconsin, hear people who want guns for self-protection because the nearest law enforcement might be 50 miles away. You have people in urban areas who've seen so much gun violence and they want to get guns off the streets. You have people who want to use guns recreationally. You have people who are strongly in support of gun control, but maybe part of a discrimin- uh, a group, uh, a disenfranchised group that is the Um, the the focus of discrimination uh, and anti-Semitism, for example, and people in those communities actually want firearms and want to learn how to use it for self-defense. So you hear all these different stories, uh, but there is a lot of common ground. In fact, we hosted a town hall on finding what we call higher ground solutions where we had gun rights people, gun responsibility people, Democrats, Republicans, independents, And I think the higher ground is a rebirth of responsibility and respect to to really break the cycle of this violence. An example of a solution, and I'm the only candidate calling for this, this is my signature proposal, is universal gun licensing. In order to drive a car, you need to be old enough, first of all. Then you need to go through Uh, driver's ed, then you need to pass a driver's test, you get a driver's license, you need to renew that license over time. No one would be comfortable with people driving on the street here with people who don't have licenses and don't know how to use a car. The same thing applies for guns. Uh, We need people who want to use guns to go through that same type of process, training, test, license, to ensure that they can use that gun safely. And in the states where that law has been implemented, there's been a 30% or more reduction in gun violence. So that's just an example of something that I think truly cuts across party lines and the divides of our state while also reducing gun violence. Now, I have a track record working on this. You asked about what have I done before. Um, With my organization, Millennial Action Project, after the Parkland shooting, we convened Democratic, Republican state lawmakers, met with the Parkland students, and were able to pass a bill on gun violence prevention. We saw that there was this ban on the CDC from studying gun violence as a public health issue. So we lifted that ban, was signed into law and ultimately the CDC is now funded and authorized to study gun violence as a public health issue. So now when you hear people like President Biden saying the number one cause of death among children today is gun violence, that finding comes from the CDC research that we're talking about here. So. That is the first gun violence prevention bill to pass through Congress in over two decades. And I point to that, not to say that that solves all the problems. It's certainly an important step, but it really shows that this style of leadership is what delivers results. This is what changes things. And that's what I want to build on in the U.S. Senate.
0: Perfect. So... I think the, the next question I have for you here feels equally as, I guess, permissive in our culture right now. Inflation is a conversation that's happening all over the place. I'm getting emails from both my Democratic and Republican senators out here in Montana, both having different blames about what's causing inflation. But regardless of whatever it is that's causing it, you know, it's impacting all of us in different ways, especially when you think about gas prices. What specifically needs to be done to combat inflation right now? And what would you propose if you were elected to the Senate?
1: Well, first, this is an issue like many others where it's really important to have an independent mind. It's not helpful to view this issue through the lens of partisanship and partisan blame uh, because frankly, the issue is more complicated than that. And when you see higher gas prices, I don't think anyone cares whether a Democrat or Republican did that. They just saw that they just paid a hundred bucks for their gas. So when you look at this issue, honestly, you see a few things. One is that the pandemic created a number of supply chain shortages because you had demand in some areas go up, you had demand in other areas go down and the global supply chain was just not prepared for that. You add on top of that, that we've had historically low interest rates from the Fed. You add on top of that, that the federal government was using their fiscal policy to pass $6 trillion in different forms of aid, uh, a lot of which was extremely helpful and impactful, uh, but some might say that overheated the situation uh, as well. And then you've also got ports and other aspects of our infrastructure uh, that are now getting overloaded. and so. You're seeing these price shocks, and it's not uh, sustainable. We do have to take this on. And so, I do want a holistic uh, approach to that. And the first thing I'll say to people is always keep your BS radar up for candidates who are promising everything, who think they can do everything. The reality is, you have different levels of government, different branches of government. And so, I'm going to be specific on what a US senator can do. Because at the end of the day, the Federal Reserve has a huge impact through monetary policy on the flow of cash in our country. And now we just saw that they are going to be uh, raising their interest rates. So, you know, they're going to be doing their thing. Now, as a senator, one thing that I can be directly involved in helping with is first alleviating some of the supply chain bottlenecks uh, through some smart investments, not only in infrastructure, but actually in just uh, logistics and the operations behind uh, the supply chain. Uh, and the other thing is to be even smarter and more targeted about the spending uh, coming out of Congress. And I believe, I'm obviously running as a Democrat, so I believe that government has an important role to make a positive difference in, in people's lives. Um, but one thing I saw behind the scenes in Congress is this dynamic of Christmas treeing up pieces of legislation. And what that means by Christmas treeing a bill is everyone adds their thing to it. Sometimes it has nothing to do with that bill. And the net result is our debt and deficit continues to go up, spending continues to go up. And a lot of times it's not actually having the the desired uh, effect because now think about it, inflation disproportionately hurts people who are poor. Uh, it's the kind of the equivalent feeling of a regressive tax, and so um, that's what I would do uh, on inflation.
0: Okay, so we definitely, I definitely have some more questions for you, including um, your stance on final five voting and open primaries. Yes. Uh, but before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll have more with our candidates. Stay tuned.
1: Hey, Indie Thought listeners. Has this past year helped you rediscover your creative and crafty side? Well, then you're going to love our sponsor for today's episode. Bathing Beauties Beads is a full-service bead shop in the heart of downtown Missoula. Whether it's seed beads, semi-precious stones, vintage beads, or just materials to make a project, they have something for every person and every price range. Not from Missoula? Don't worry. They have an extensive online store and they will ship directly to you. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, they'll welcome you and help you make your next project a reality. You can find them online at Bathing Beauties Beads on Instagram and Facebook or at bathingbeautiesbeads.com. And don't forget to use offer code INDEPENDENTTHOUGHT at checkout to save 15% on your order.
0: Welcome back from the break, everyone. Thank you for sticking with us through this episode of Independent Thought. So Stephen, you know, during the break here, you were talking to me about the threshold to get onto the debate stage in Wisconsin. Now, the state of Wisconsin has implemented um, a standard that you have to have at least 5,000 individual donors in order to get onto the debate stage. But you tell me that they only informed you of this just a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, first of all, let's talk about the fact that there haven't been any debates yet in this race. And when the, you don't have a debate of ideas, you have a race to have the most TV ads and you know whoever the self funders are will emerge there. And if you want a, a campaign that's all about money, you're not gonna get good public servants. You want people who can engage, be effective meeting with voters and have ideas. We've done over 150 events, the legacy media here doesn't even show up to events that have all the major candidates present. They've been to zero of those. And so now there's finally going to be one televised debate on July 17th. And look, the corporate legacy media, they like their kind of candidates and they're working so hard to suppress our voices here. And the reason we know that is not only did they put this arbitrary financial threshold, after we all just qualified to be on the ballot. I mean, I talk to people who say to me, um, especially people in more disenfranchised communities, they'll say, why wouldn't they just have all the candidates who qualified to be on the ballot, which is eight people? Why wouldn't you just want all of them to be on the debate stage? That's the responsibility of media, media to inform people on their options. And the fact is that's not what's going on. So then they arbitrarily set this threshold And then they notify the big money establishment candidates before they notify the rest of us. And so the timing was not equal. So look, at the end of the day, structural inequalities in our political system, system of oppression and suppression in our politics has existed from the beginning of our country. Uh, There's nothing new about this right now. Our job as people Who are coming from underrepresented communities uh, as people who want real change in our politics who are more maybe independent-minded thinkers our job is to overcome those barriers uh, and we will we launched a major campaign uh last week calling on everyone to donate one dollar or three dollars or five dollars to our campaign at stephenolikara.com slash revolution and by doing that even if you haven't decided, let's say you're a Wisconsinite right now, you haven't decided who you're supporting, what you are supporting with this is there being a real debate, having the different voices represented on that debate stage, especially when there's only one uh, debate. So the establishment is working so hard to control this election, and we're not going to let them, we will overcome this hurdle, and we will be on that debate stage.
0: That's absolutely you know, criminal, as far as I'm concerned, putting that kind of a restriction onto people and especially giving them that little amount of time to react in in something, you know, like a statewide race. Let me transition, I think, almost naturally into this next question, talking about structural reforms that need to happen within our our, uh, government. You have talked about final five voting and open primaries. Specifically to this, you know, to this topic, why is that important? And you know, like, can that be implemented on a national level?
1: Yeah, if you're ever wondering why government doesn't work, why members of Congress seemingly can't reach across the aisle, why inaction is often a lot more profitable and feasible than doing something, it's because of our primary system and how our electoral system generally works. And part of what we need is to open up real competition and ensure that the most number of voters are participating in the election that matters. And so the reform here, final five voting, says we first have an open nonpartisan primary, put all the candidates on the same ballot and the top five will advance to the general election. So instead of two, five will advance. And the reason for that is because you have a much bigger voter turnout in the general as opposed to the primary. And so this shifts the focus really to the general election. And then ranked choice voting ensures the candidate who's done the best job of building diverse coalitions uh, is ultimately the one that wins. So it's not just a plurality wins with, say, 25%, but it's 50% plus one uh, is required to win. And, you know, right now, why is this important? Roughly 9% of Americans are electing 90% of Congress. And so you wonder why is it that people hate Congress, has like the lowest approval ratings ever in history, and yet so many of them keep getting reelected. Well, this is why, because you have such a narrow slice of usually more extreme voices voting in the primary, and then you're usually choosing between the lesser of two evils uh, in the general election. And most of those uh, general elections are not competitive seats. They've been highly gerrymandered uh, to be safe. So that's why you have the systemic breakdown. This issue, I feel like, is where gerrymandering reform was 10 years ago. People are now starting to really understand it, hear about it. I did an event yesterday, I asked, who here has heard of ranked choice voting? 70% of the audience rose their hands. So this is a one of the most impactful reforms, and I'm proud to be the only U.S. Senate candidate, not only in Wisconsin but in the entire country, right now championing open primaries and ranked choice voting.
0: Hey, more power to you! I think those are things that we definitely need to see uh, across the country. As far as I'm concerned, it's more choices are better, yeah. and you know, people who are forced to have to like reach out to more people, build broader coalitions. I think that only does a service to all of us by lowering polarization. So my yeah. hope is that that does, in fact, go into effect in more places, if not nationally, then hopefully more localities, more states, so on and so forth. Yeah. One final question I have for you, and this, this is kind of uh, something that's near and dear to my heart right now that's particular to the Senate, the filibuster. Mm-hmm. It is, in my mind, you know, I'm, I'll ask you your opinion here in a moment here, but in my mind, it has become a tool of obstruction for whatever party is in power to basically just keep the majority from getting anything done. Um, I happen to believe that it's kind of long past due as far as, you know, us getting rid of it. But what's more important here is your opinion. You are running for the Senate. What do you think about the filibuster? Should it be kept intact? Should it be reformed to talking filibuster? Should we get rid of it altogether? Like, what are your thoughts on its role in our Senate currently?
1: Yeah, well, first, just to set the scene here, there's nothing about filibuster and and certainly in the constitution. Uh, This was a rule that was established in the Senate uh, a long time ago. And yeah, there have been some, you know, some people have seen the movie, Mr. Smith goes to Washington. You know, there's this kind of romanticized vision of the filibuster where you stand on principle on an issue that matters a lot and you can educate people about it. So there's some rare cases where it has been used, I think for good means, but as you noted It's been used not only for a number of racist memes over the years, but also uh, for just pure uh, obstruction. If you plot on a graph, use of the filibuster, it's just gone up exponentially as polarization and tribalism has increased in our country. So certainly if a bill comes up to eliminate the filibuster, I would support it. Uh, But also we know that there are not likely to be enough votes to do that. And so I'm going to focus on reform that can get enough senators uh, on board with this change. And uh, my criteria for that is just people need to be held accountable. Right now it's filibuster by email. There's no physical exertion happening. There's no accountability for people uh, who are filibustering. So my reform just really raises the bar to a much, much higher level where you have to physically go to the Senate floor and filibuster, show yourself to the nation and hey, if, if you're making some good points, you're going to attract uh, some attention, but also to ha- have a filibuster and maintain it, you, the, the burden really shifts to the filibustering party as opposed to the other way around. And so you would need 41 uh, senators physically present as well to be voting in favor of the filibuster and, and maintaining it. And, and what that means is only in very rare circumstances would the filibuster be utilized and the pain threshold will be very high and the accountability uh threshold uh will be much higher as well so i think that's a creative proposal i've I've heard you know talking with a number of people in the reform movement that i think uh actually would get enough votes to pass
0: all right well i thank you so much for coming on today and talking to us about these issues Stephen. where can people uh find out more about you and learn about your campaign
1: yes so um it'd be great if you can you know, mention or post this in the description as well, but it's just www.stephenolikara.com. We need your help to get on the debate stage. Send us $1 or $3 or $5 and it'll make a big difference. You can do that just straight on our website um, or go straight to the link stephenolikara.com slash revolution. All
0: right. Those links will, in fact, be in the episode description. So if you are listening to this right now, please go down and check those out. I want to thank everyone for coming on. Well, I want to thank you for coming on to the show today. I want to thank everyone else for listening. Uh, We will have more with Independent Thought back in the future. If you liked this episode, uh, please go ahead and share it on social media. Tag Independent Thought on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We will see you in the next one. Take care.